Welcome to the OA Light, a candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light of Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Isalomi. Is this for me? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> for hot water. Hi, I'm Itolome, a compulsive overeater. Hi, um, Yes, I'm getting nervous, so let me get a sip of this. Um, so glad to be here. I haven't been in this room um, in a while. I, my home Saturday meeting is usually kitchen sink. Um, but I, I love this meeting when I do come. I love the podcast, and I love the people in these rooms. Such Strong recovery, which always makes me feel intimidated, but I know um, I know I'm here for a reason. And I was doing step work before the meeting, um, really trying to find some uh, intuition of what I should speak about today, other than sharing my story. I usually start with a reading for from the for today, but um, I was um, journaling on step two and had something that I felt very ashamed to write and to share. And I know when I feel that way, that's when I need to write it and I need to share it. So I will begin with that. Um, so in step two, it says, uh, we had to replace our old ideas about God with a faith that worked. This was both humbling and frightening for us, but once we became willing to do it, surprising things began to happen. If you don't mind, I'm just going to read from my journal. Um, Humbling and frightening, that's what I feel. Uh, I feel a huge wall of shame with God right now. I say wall because I feel like it's something I put up to block me from God so I can hide behind it. I feel like I failed him in some way, like I've disappointed him. Like all these years I was this good and faithful servant, so full of faith and hope, and now I'm just like the rest of them. Those so-called faithful people or spiritual people who all of a sudden stop going to service or stop listening and start questioning. To start saying, was that really God or was that just life on life's terms? I just feel so scared of God right now. Like, like he's disappointed. Like he's quietly waiting till the other shoe falls and I run back to him or I have some tragic accident and he'll see that I learned my lesson, never to question him again. But I still smile smugly to myself and I say, that's not how life works because it's life on life's terms. And you, God, you have nothing to do with life on life's terms. But I know that's not true either. And when I say things like that, I don't feel God in me. What I do know for sure is that I was created. And I know God is my creator. I know that he lives in me. He speaks to me. And he truly has my back and wants what's best for me. And he welcomes this crisis of faith because he knows it's not a crisis, it's growth. I'm a big girl now, approaching my ninth year in recovery. He's given me the space and patience to figure it all out. He's having me do exactly what step two asks, which is, we became willing to start fresh with our higher power. 
Our heartfelt concept of God wasn't working, so we became willing for it to be changed. We began to do this by asking ourselves exactly what we wanted and needed of our higher power to be. It may not sound like it, but that's definitely one of the hardest things I've ever had to share in these rooms. I came into the program with a pretty um, strong concept of God. I grew up uh, in a religious upbringing, and um, that's always worked for me. Um, but, you know, I'll start with a um, segue into my story. Um, so I was um, born in Nigeria and uh, grew up in London. And then uh, when I was about seven years old, I moved to Fort Worth, Texas. Um, that was culture shock, to say the least. <laughs> uh, for the first time, um, you know, I, I went from being surrounded by friends and family and people who looked like me and so, uh, sounded like me all the time to the complete opposite and to experiencing racism for the first time and um, feeling really lost and uh, alone. And that was such a, such a strong feeling because that's when food started becoming my best friend. Before that, I, I don't, don't even remember what, food, what role food played in my life, really. Um, but then it became all about the food. And uh, for my family, we, uh, we were excited coming from uh, another country where stuff like all-you-can-eat buffets and super size and free refills. This was also new to us, so we thought this was amazing. So my fondest memories growing up were family trips to the all-you-can-eat buffet and <laughs> with free refills and endless, endless plates of food. And, and literally, like, when I think of childhood, that's what I think of. Um, that and, you know, reading my books alone. That, that's pretty much how I functioned. Um, needless to say, I gained a lot of weight very fast and um, didn't, didn't understand why. Um, when I was 13, my mother is also overweight, and um, we started sharing clothes, and even she was like, this is not okay. Um, and a doctor told me, you know, if you keep on this road, you're not going to make it past your teens. Like, you can't, you can't do this. So then I did what, you know, I thought every good person should do. I put myself on a diet, um, and I said my brother, um, do a diet for me, and it, <laughs> tell everyone it was crackers and water, and it lasted about um, less than 24 hours, uh, and he ate all my crackers. <laughs> and, um, you know, I laugh about that, but that, that was what started a vicious spiral of dieting, and I went through every single diet um, imaginable. Um, high school was all about dieting, and what happened in high school is um, one of the diets actually worked. And, you know, this is important because all of a sudden people saw me. I lost all this weight. Um, people said I was beautiful. People wanted to be my friend. They invited me to things. It confirmed what this disease told me, which is you have no worth unless you starve yourself or abuse yourself. Um, and that was that. So, um, but you know, I was never able to keep the weight off. It came, it came back. And um, college, also, uh, I went to college uh, at a really great, prestigious school that my parents paid a lot of money uh, to help me go to. And I hate to say that my memories are again of binging and food. I, 
people talk about classes we took together and I'm like I, I don't remember I don't remember I don't know how I passed a lot of my classes it was, it was one big kind of food haze um, and uh, I remember when um, we were supposed to be uh, like during orientation week where everyone was getting to know each other and doing mixers and all that stuff I was at Barnes and Noble first in line for the new diet book that was coming out that I was sure was going to change my life and was going to make my college experience worth it. Not the mixers, not actually getting to know people, no. Going on this diet that was going to change my life. Um, but I have to say college was also where I found um, recovery in a sense of eating disorder recovery. Um, my college had a great eating disorder program and by the grace of God, I dragged myself there and really connected with uh, the people there. Um, that was the first time I really, you know, got therapy and uh, nutrition and just professional help around uh, myself and my food. Um, but, you know, I share this story because this is where, you know, it, it didn't quite take hold. Um, I had a nutritionist who said, um, every time I have a food craving, because my problem was I would eat all my roommates' food, it was always junk food, obviously, that I wouldn't buy, but then they would buy and I would eat it. Um, she was like, every time you have a craving for their food, what you need to do is take nail polish and put it um, in front of that food or wherever that food is so that when you open the <laughs> Try not to laugh. When you Because it was really sound advice for some people. <laughs> so when you open the pantry, um, you'll see the nail polish and you'll think of how beautiful you are and how self-care, choose self-care is so important, and you won't reach for the food, you'll reach for the nail polish. <laughs> well, you can all predict what happened. Uh, my roommate came home and was like, there's this all, all this nail polish, and all her food is gone, and she's like, what is going on? <laughs> and, you know, and it's, it's sad, because I felt like such a failure. I was like, oh, man, if I could just do what the nutritionist said, I would have recovery. I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand. Um, so uh, after college, I actually, I actually moved to L.A. Um, gosh, this was over 10 years ago. Uh, came out here, had a wild, wild I say wild lifestyle, but it, it really was, was food. It was the wildest thing I did. I went on, again, the binging. Um, that's when I got into a big time like exercise bulimia and also um, purging, but purging with um, laxatives. So big time laxative abuse. I went to the ER three or four times. To this day, I suffer with like the um, consequences of years of, of using laxatives. I, I can't, I'm not allowed to use laxatives unless it's like really extreme. It, it was just so bad. Um, and I remember uh, one night I had a binge um, that it was so bad that I called a crisis hotline. I don't know how I got the number, but I did. And I called them and I was just sobbing. I was sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And the lady said, you don't sound safe. I'm going to send someone. You don't, you don't sound safe. And um, eventually I calmed, but, you know, I remember that moment because that was definitely rock bottom. And, and that was um, when I, I realized, you know, I struggled with depression. I struggled with suicidal thoughts. But that's when it became so tied to my food. You know, it was like, it was that real direct link that I experienced. 
Um, but still, I didn't know what the answer was. I just thought, again, eating a sort of recovery, maybe I'll, I'll finally be able to control my food. Um, so I moved um, back home. You know, I, I didn't have a choice. I had no money. I had gotten in trouble with so many people. I was just just really out of control. And I moved uh, in with my parents in Miami and was just kind of coping. I would say I was, um, I was going from... I'll admit it, dessert to dessert. Like, that's kind of how I made it through my days. Um, and for me, that was the best recovery I could do. Um, so I had a friend visit me um, in Miami, and she was complaining that her brother uh, doesn't think he needs um, a 12-step program um, for alcohol um, because he claims that he uh, is functioning and just needs a little bit every day to get through the day. What's the big deal? And I looked at her, I was like, yeah, no, I, I agree with him. I mean, life sucks, it's miserable, and if all we have or all we need to get through today is just a little something, why is that so bad? What's so wrong with that? And I remember she didn't have an answer for me, but it's just the way she looked at me as if, oh, that's, you know, that's how you see life? And I, I thought everyone saw life like that. I didn't realize that there could be a life beyond the way I saw it. Um, so in some magic, miraculous way, I never forgot our conversation. And right away, I started Googling, literally, because I was like, okay, so there's a 12-step program for people with alcohol. Is there one for people with food? Lo and behold, OA popped up. And um, I would love to say I went to my first meeting right away. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, uh, I think I called, someone picked up, I didn't like the way they sounded, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, and I was like, you know what, not for me, <laughs> but I remembered that the person had recommended a Wednesday night meeting near where I lived, and thank God I remembered it, because I think a couple of weeks later, I was um, at a an audition, which, you know, for me was a job thing I was pursuing and to sum it up things were going really well and I found myself in the bathroom stuffing my face binging beyond belief to the point that I was physically my stomach was distended and not understanding what was going on not understanding I left I left the audition and went right to the meeting um, and came in in this place of desperation and saying, I don't, I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. I don't know why I'm, like I'm killing myself with food. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm glad I came in. I really came in for the sanity. And that's how I um, got abstinent pretty quickly. I uh, found my sponsor within that week. She, um, gosh, she to this day, I talk about how I found her because people said, try to find someone who has what you want. And I remember her being, uh, she was leading a meeting. I just felt she was so beautiful, but not just physically beautiful, but also this beauty was just emanating from her. And she, I remember she was sitting so calmly and comfortably and just seemed so content and happy with life. And I was like, I wish I had that. I don't think I've ever had that. I want what she has. And I asked her to be my sponsor, and, and she agreed. Um, so I got abstinent pretty quickly, then lost my abstinence pretty quickly. And how that happened was um, back then I used to do road trips. I was a big road tripper, get in my car and drive for hours 
like go places and then call my parents and be like, I'm in another town, I'll be there tomorrow. It was just a thing. Everyone just thought, oh, that's just our daughter. She's very adventurous. No, that's not what it was. Um, I loved road trips for drive-throughs. I loved the high of going on a road trip, getting really hungry and targeting drive-throughs, especially really exotic ones that I didn't have in my local town. So I did that and um, bought food and was like, oh, well, now that I'm in program, I know that I can only have this much. I only have this much, and I'll put the food aside for the rest of the road trip. I ended up pulling over and just gobbling the whole thing and feeling horrible. And I called my sponsor and told her what happened. And she said, well, A, that's common. Most of us can't do drive-thrus or we can't. We can only buy what we're supposed to eat. And she said, and B, she said, why are you on a road trip? <laughs> and that's when it really planted the reality of what am, what am I doing? What am I running away from? What am I not facing? Um, and, you know, I'll say years later, I actually do not like traveling. <laughs> I can't stand adventure. I like routine. I like to know what's happening. I like to stay in the same place. Don't like change. <laughs> like even the word road trip, I like cringe. Because um, that's the reality. That, that's what it was for me. Um, let me talk a little bit about um, uh, how I, I guess, how I got abstinent. She, um... She was a 100-pounder um, who was very, just had a very kind of uh, relaxed way, I guess sober eating uh, way to, to food. So I think that really helped me because I came from a place of restriction, uh, you know, binging, but also restriction, dieting. And, you know, she asked me food-wise, like, what, what's, what's normal for you? What is it? And I was like, you know, I've always wanted to have three meals a day. <laughs> It's just so, so funny, but I've, I've never allowed myself to have, like, three full, like, a full breakfast, full lunch, full dinner. And she was like, great, and add, like, two full snacks to that. I was like, really? She's like, yeah. And I was like, can I have, like, sweet stuff? She's like, sure. And surprisingly, that actually worked for me when I first came in. Um, it just, like, gave me permission to just eat. Um, I told her everything I ate. I, I actually had to buy everything, eat it, and finish it. I couldn't really, like, cook and keep stuff. Um, gradually, though, I um, had to let stuff go. I just naturally saw that desserts did not work for me. Um, sweet stuff in general didn't work for me. Um, and, you know, my food plan has adjusted since. But that really, when I sponsor people, that's also how I I start them. For some sponsors, they can't handle sugar. For me, it it now is like intuitively, if it's too much or if it's not working, I get rid of it. Um, uh, meetings. I, um, I started with two to three meetings a week. Meetings for me have always been something that I love <laughs> because, I don't know, I guess I don't have, I don't have much of a social life. So meetings are great for me to go and connect with people. And, you know, and I will say, okay, yes, um, I do go to outside events. But, you know, I only really feel 100% myself in these rooms. So going to meetings, getting to connect with everyone, getting to really, really be myself and talk about what's going on and hear about other people and speak the same language, that really gives me comfort. Um, so... Uh, to this day, I still do at least two meetings a week, um, try to aim for three. Um, telephone is a huge tool that saves me. You know, I, I had a huge um, transition in recovery 
about two years ago, I moved from Miami to L.A. Uh, Miami was where I had my home group um, and didn't realize until I moved, A, how much I realized I don't like moving, I don't like change, and B, how much, you know, I missed my Miami family. Um, so I used that telephone. I was calling them crying all the time. I was like, I don't know these people. I don't know these rooms. It's so different. They have these afternoon meetings. What is that? Because <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have afternoon meetings. Um, but the funny thing is, afternoon meeting actually is what saved me. I went to a St. Thomas meeting, and that's actually my home meeting now. And um, it's just been so essential to my recovery. It's my recovery, even when I go overseas abroad, um, you know, I share this. Uh, I go back to London to visit, which is really great. I still consider it my home. Um, but I'll say, like, for the first couple years of recovery, going to London was a little bit about the food and nostalgia around it. And then it became about the people and the friends and the stuff going on. I'll say in the last two years that I've been, the best memories I've had of going back to London have been getting to a meeting. Um, it's like, it just, it, it grounds everything, you know, it, it, it makes sense of the trip because trips can be so triggering and all this stuff happening and how great it was or how great it is to connect with fellows in that, in that world and feel so at home, really, really feel at home more than, uh, more than anywhere else. Um, writing, uh, so writing is what I do as a career, or trying to do as a career, so writing is one of those tools I can't stand using, but um, as you saw today, writing is um, one of the things, probably the most revealing tool. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes talking with fellows, uh, phone calls, and while that is just as important and the connection is something that I is irreplaceable, writing, um, I, I didn't understand what I was feeling today until I wrote it. That, feeling of the wall up with God. I didn't, but I felt it so heavily, especially for the past couple days. And it wasn't until I put pen to paper and wrote it, do I understand it. And now what I love is that, you know, I have it to share. I have it on a podcast. And, you know, I physically have it now to go back to it and really um, understand what I'm going through. And what I know from experience is a couple of weeks I'm going to look back and be like, man, why was I feeling like that? There's no wall. God and I are good, you know? It's like, it's, I just know it's just for now and this too shall pass. Um, uh, literature. Um, I usually, so, you know, in a perfect world, every morning I get on my knees and I read from one of the books and I journal and I meditate and make three phone calls. Um, that doesn't happen every morning, <laughs> but that does happen every day. So, you know, I, I, my, my days are better when I can do it first thing in the morning. But, you know, I've also found that my days, I, 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 I've moved into freelancing, and I really struggle with structure, as most freelancers understand. So it's actually during the day, during those gray areas, that I actually feel the most triggered, more so than the mornings. So I've actually found a lot of help in doing my 10-step or doing reading literature or writing or doing step work during those times during the day, making phone calls at those times during the day, that has been really helpful, especially um, really recently. Um, action plan. You know, I, I remember when action plan was being proposed as a new tool. Do you guys remember that? It was like a couple of years ago. 
for for us in Miami, it was like a big deal. It was like, what is this world service? What's happening? What's changing? <laughs> and um, when someone proposed it, I remember we were like, is that necessary? Is it? I don't know. Um, I love Action Plan. I actually, I have an Action Plan sponsor. I was really struggling with two areas in my life, careers, career, and relationships, romantic relationships. And I found a sponsor who said, why don't we work an action plan around it? Because she, she said, while um, you're doing everything you need to do, you're leaning in, sometimes just getting really specific and doing specific footwork um, can be really helpful. And these are two areas that she is just an expert in. She's been through all of it. Um, what's funny, though, is one of the first things she suggested for both career and romantic relationships was, she's like, you wear a lot of black. <laughs> I was like, excuse me? She's like, no, I say that because I used to wear a lot of black, too. She's like, but, you know, something that really helped me was, uh, you know, wearing more colors because you put out an energy um, to potential employers or, you know, a job uh, if you're going to a mixer or to pretend potential romantic interests that um, you're light and bright. <laughs> She's like, I don't know how, how else to explain it, but it just gives out a good, a good energy, and it also helps you. Um, I thought it was baloney when she first told me. I just I felt like, oh, that's not, that's not relevant. That's not helpful. <laughs> and she's great. She takes what I, what I give her. She's like, all right, you cannot take my advice. Um, then little by little, uh, I started doing it, and I noticed a huge difference. The outfit I'm wearing today is something that six months ago I wouldn't wear, wouldn't consider wearing. I have a big, bright red bag that I felt really, really self-conscious when I first bought it. Something told me, you need to buy that bag and carry it around. And it's, <laughs> and it's really, I'm telling you, it's, I mean, now six months later, I... I'm having career opportunities just come at me. Things I didn't even expect just from, it's like a law of attraction, just from bringing in that good energy. And I am dating, which six months ago, that word didn't exist in my dictionary. Um, so, <laughs> so it works. You know, it, it really doing, having some sort of action plan and footwork and having someone holding you accountable, I, I'm all about it. Um, and then last, I want to talk about service before I turn it over. I wanted to do 10 minutes of questions. Um, and I want to end on service because it's huge. Uh, my first experience with service was not uh, willingly. <laughs> well, here's how it went. I was at a meeting that needed, they were doing elections for new service. And, you know, I was trying to volunteer something small, like, you know, set up or... Uh, all the timer, you know, which is, they're all very important. But um, a lady who then became my sponsor knew that I was avoiding something. And she was like, you know what, I'm actually giving up secretary and I'm going to give it to you. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't do this. And here's why. In my real life, I had never had a position of responsibility. If I did, it didn't last uh, more than, I don't know, 24 hours. I would always self-sabotage, messed up something, and I just avoided it. So to me, I just felt like, no, I'm, I'm not good enough, I'm not responsible enough, I can't handle this. 
She was like, yes, you can. I will help you. You'll be fine. Um, funny enough, I became secretary and actually stayed secretary because we didn't have anyone to take over for years um, in, in that meeting. And, you know, I, at, at that time, I, I needed it. It helped a lot. It was the only experience of, um, again, responsibility, like some sense of managing people and interactions that I've ever, ever had. I've never had it professionally. And I feel like, in general, that's what these rooms do. I experience things in these rooms, um, and then I'm able to do them in the outside world. Um, also, service is a big part of what kept me coming to meetings, no matter what. I had a huge falling out. Some, just It was a big misunderstanding with some fellows, uh, which was really jarring because, you know, this is our safe space. This is where we come to feel safe and understood. And all of a sudden, I was feeling not safe and not understood in these rooms. All I said was, well, I'm just going to do service. And, um, and that's what kept me, kept me coming back. Um, and then, you know, I learned here that uh, service is slimming. I'd, I'd never heard that phrase before. I love it. I love that phrase. I'm like, mm, swimming. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's, it's so much more. Service is surrender. Service is serenity. Um, service is really putting program first. I just went through a recent uh, change where uh, I was working uh, first half of the year on a project and had to drop it. And it was really through service and taking on another secretary position, really putting program first and my sanity first, that I had to drop this project. Um, you know, I, I really struggle with a, with a world and an industry and a career, which I know a lot of people do because it's everywhere, where, you know, work-life balance can be tricky. And um, this program has told me it doesn't matter what industry is in, you're in. It doesn't matter what everyone else around you is saying. You are an addict first and foremost need to be here first and foremost. This is the most important thing. And bringing it back to God, um, this new concept of God is a God that really understands me more than I understand myself, that really has my back, and really is giving me a life beyond my wildest dreams because I still don't, I still don't quite understand how life works. But little by little, every day, God is just showing me how it does. Um... Okay, so 610. Oh, great, thanks. Um, I wanted to open it up for questions. What was your experience with Step 3 and what were the kind of steps you took or what it looked like to try to turn yourself over? Great, do I repeat the question? Yes. Uh, question was, what was my experience with Step 3 and what were like concrete examples of me turning my will over. Uh, I have a very concrete example. I remember when I first took step three, I remember exactly what room I was in. It was in Miami. And I remember crying because I realized I had to, in order for me to become willing and really surrender to God, this new understanding of God in recovery, um, I had to give, I had to gain weight. I had to gain weight. Um, because at that point I was restricting. I was, like I said, living from one suite to suite, and that was working for my size, and I, I, was, I didn't want to give that up. And I realized that I, I not only had to give that up, but that I was probably not going to physically look like I wanted to, and I did. I didn't bring pictures. Uh, people don't believe it, though. My first 
year or two of recovery, I went up uh, four or five dress sizes. Um, I remember I came back to LA. Everyone was very concerned. <laughs> they were like, wow, uh, how's Miami treating you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> no one wanted to say it, but it was, it was very obvious. Can I tell you, though, I was the happiest, biggest size I've ever been because, like I said, I was eating three full meals. I was not restricting. I was so connected with program and really excited about this new recovery and life I found. Um, and, you know, I happily went to the store and bought all my bigger sizes. I was totally okay with it, but it started from... Um, that surrender, which at first was, was very difficult. I mean, it took a while. So. Sure. Uh, question was if I can talk about my abstinence, my plan of eating, and how that's changed. Um, so my abstinence uh, when I first came in was uh, no binging and no dieting. That is my bottom line abstinence to this day. Um, I knew I couldn't restrict certain food groups um, because it would just trigger my restriction brain and send me on a vicious cycle. And I just knew I couldn't commit to it. I would be lying to myself and to my sponsor. Um, and it worked. Like I said, by the grace of God, it really, really worked. Um, so I had the three meals. My meal plan was three meals, uh, two snacks. Told her everything I ate. Um, and then gradually moved to also weighing and measuring everything, which I still do. I am very fanatical about my sale, um, just because it gives me clarity. And I've noticed, my, again, I have such a sensitive stomach from all the years of purging. When something's off, it's usually because, you know, my measurements are off, so I, I actually have to stick to it. Um, I chose a meal plan from Dignity of Choice. Uh, I think I, I added protein. Um, I still stick to that, but um, gradually, I like I said, I desserts now. I just I don't I don't even fruit. I have to be careful. Um, sugar in general, again, I don't 100 percent restrict sugar or artificial sugar or sweeteners. But you know, I'm careful. I consider it all gray, um, and you know, gray is you know um, for not necessarily a red light food but definitely not a green light, and it's usually gray foods I don't keep in my house. Or if I do, it's in very, very small quantities. Um, I usually just prefer to buy it, eat it, and be done with it. Um, also, uh, naturally, uh, flour, because I found I'm gluten-sensitive, which is not fun. It's not fun. But um, kind of took care of the flour thing. I really, I don't really eat flour. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Dairy, I'm also lactose intolerant, so I usually um, don't eat much of that. And um, the portions have shrank. I guess as I have shrank, the portions have shrank. It was a doctor that had to explain that to me because I was like, what is going on? <laughs> I used to eat this much and this much. Look, I wrote it down, and now I can't. And he was like, well, because you weigh less. I was like, and your body needs less. So I was like, oh, and also, you know, you get older and you need less. So... Not easy, because every couple of months, then I have to change my food plan. It's like, oh, now I have to let go of this thing, or oh, now I have to have less of this. Um, but, you know, just the, it's the, the less I fight, 
because I always put up a fight. But the lesson, the sooner I surrender, uh, the sooner I get serenity around it, and the sooner I realize, wow, why is that such a big deal when there's so many other things in life that I can be grateful for and enjoying, I'm experiencing. So, and I guess, uh, did you ask, like, do you mean also, like, physical, like, okay. Uh, question was, can I talk about my experience with fear and how I walk through it or what I do to get better clarity? For me, asking for help. Um, that has been uh, so important. Not only is this a disease of isolation, I am a really, really uh, super, super independent, self-willed, Say self-reliant, that's the word, self-reliant person. I feel like that's what's gotten me through life. Even in recovery, I was having that feeling of, yeah, I have such good recovery because I show up and I do this and I do that and I, I, I. I'm such a great person. Um, then I was just having some really deep, I think the biggest fear happened when I relocated um, here because I just didn't expect it. I felt so weak. What is this? I'm homesick? What's that? I never experienced that. <laughs> and then, you know, you know, career and just life, I just had no idea where any of it was going. I was just in constant fear. And I noticed prayer was not enough. Just me praying by myself and talking to God on my, by myself was not enough. It really required me reaching out to other people. Um, I heard someone speak at Kitchen Sink and um, I had asked her, I called her and asked her, she had such serenity around fear, and I asked her what to do, and she said, you need to start making three phone calls a day. So something that I, on my best days, I do perfectly. I don't do perfectly, but I also, now what I, the gift I have now is that intuitively, anytime I'm experiencing that fear, I reach out, not just my sponsor, um, and you know, not just my fellows inside program, outside of program too. Um, I've gotten a lot of a lot of help. So. Wow, great question. I mean, they're all great questions. I've never had that question before. <laughs> Um, so the question was, if I could, after almost nine years of recovery, if I could go back to year one or two to, my, to myself, what would I tell myself? What advice do I have? <laughs> um, you're doing great. <laughs> Keep coming back. Um, <laughs> gosh, I have to think about that. I feel like there's something profound there. Be patient. Be patient. Um, and I think it's it's this life beyond your wildest dreams. It's not what you think. When I first came in, um, I really thought life beyond my wildest dreams. You know, I had a goal sheet. I had a I had a sheet of goals. It's what I it's what I did. It actually started with a company that I used to work for and. Um, kept doing it because it felt felt right and um, I you know I, I come from also religious upbringing 
that I've, I've since had to kind of put some distance from because they also preach this kind of, you pray for it, you get it, you know, pray hard enough, work hard enough, you get it. And I felt um, in my first couple of years that that was kind of what I was working towards. And then I found, you know, I've had all this recovery. Why are these things not coming to fruition? I'm doing all the work. I'm doing everything right. I'm faithful. I'm loyal. I'm honest. Why is it not happening? Um, just recently, just in the past couple of months, I threw, threw out my goal sheet, and I'll wrap up, um, which was huge for me. Because um, I realized I have no idea. I have no idea what tomorrow holds and I, I have no idea what my life should look like only God knows and the only way I can submit to God on a daily basis is by not having a set set idea and, and set goals so thanks